Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, <clears throat> starting at the fourth verse. Uh, I'm going to read it out loud. You can just listen if you'd like. It'll be on the screen uh, above. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take one of ours so you can grab one from around you or uh, in the basket uh, in the lobby in the back. We'd love for you to have a Bible. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret but earnestly desire the higher gifts. I will show you a still more excellent way. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would help us all to hear. Let our hearts be soft. Let our ears be open. Let our eyes be opened. Father, we pray for the help of your Holy Spirit that we may truly hear your voice speaking. God, we pray that you would then help us to respond. 
with our whole lives, that you would be worshiped and glorified. Amen. In this series that we're in on, on why we do what we do, uh, this week we're going to be talking about why we do this, why we do everything together. Why is this communal focus uh, so important to us as a church at large? Why is it so important to us specifically at this church at Valley Hope? Um, this coming fall, we are changing our schedule. We're changing what we're doing a bit. And if you were here with us last year, have been here for years, it may feel a bit weird or not. Maybe you didn't notice. Um, as we looked at what's coming for us and what we believe to be important, we decided we need to move to put less on our calendar collectively. We encourage people to be a part of small groups, what we call missional communities. We believe it's vital. We believe it's important. We encourage you to meet weekly together, and we still want you to do that. We threw that in on top of having a weekly midweek programming for, for our kids, we call it Kids Club. Our youth group met once a week on Sundays. And for many of you, these things occupied three different nights of your week. On top of all of the things that we'd also commend to you about having intimate and personal relationships in which you hold one another accountable and read scripture together. And oh, by the way, you have a life outside of our programming calendar. And what we hear from people time and time again and what we talk about all the time when we talk about what our life together ought to look like, is the sense from pretty much everyone that we are profoundly busy people. And I think all of us together on staff and leadership in the church recognize that there is probably no greater enemy to the life with God that we believe the people of God should cultivate than busyness. And if you're like me, that busyness invades your life, not because you sit down and rationally decide, you know what I'd like to do, schedule awful things into my life, terrible, sinful things. That's what I'll be busy with. What probably happens is you don't sit down and schedule much of anything, maybe, maybe you schedule half your stuff, maybe you schedule a quarter of it, and all the stuff that ultimately ends up on your plate is actually just good stuff. It's wonderful stuff. And without paying much attention at all, your life, if it's like mine, gets choked with tons of good until you are left gasping for air at those crucial windows of the calendar year when you take a deep breath and say, okay, we got to figure out how to go just another three more months. That, we believe, is not how life with God is meant to be. It's unhelpful. We want the people of Valley Hill, the people of this church, to instead have in their minds 
a slowed down life with God and with one another. Now, I say that as somebody with four children. And I can say it and put it down on paper and look at what I've just written on paper and say, how the heck is that supposed to happen? And I don't have the answers entirely for myself or for you. But we, as we talked about this as the leadership of this church, we say we have to at least contribute to the possibility of it. So that we're not going to crowd out and aid you in crowding out your calendar. So we're moving everything in our calendar this coming semester as an experiment in this direction. Everything we would encourage people is going to be on Wednesdays. Youth group, kids club, all of it. And it's only going to be every other week. Now, we still would encourage you to meet together weekly in your missional communities. And it could be on Wednesday whether you like to or not. The reason why we are doing that, or a reason why we're doing that, is all about what we're going to talk about today. Why we do life together. I'm not going to at any point step into personally managing anyone's schedule. Nobody here at this church is doing that. No elder is going to bring you to a meeting and say, sit down, let me tell you what activities are allowed in your life. We can't do that. I'm not interested in doing that. But what we are going to keep pointing you towards and pointing ourselves towards is, what if life looked differently together? We believe that life together is an essential part of following Jesus. It is essential to follow Jesus with other people. And we live in a world that teaches you the exact opposite all the time. Everything about your life with God, everything about your most important things in life are always taught to you and me through the message of me. What is it that I personally would like? What is it that I personally feel that I need? What are my personal ambitions for fulfillment? The entire matrix for gauging whether your life is good or bad is are you personally accomplishing what you individually want for your life and happiness? There is no version of following Jesus in the New Testament that happens alone. A life with Jesus that looks like you and your Bible and a prayer closet, and that's it, is a version of Christianity that is foreign to the text of the Scriptures. The New Testament church is dramatically interconnected in ways that, as we read it, you and I probably find uncomfortable. The selling of property, the covering of one another's needs, living together, these things feel very foreign to us. And let's be perfectly honest. This thing that we are doing right now, in many ways, 
is not set up to always teach you to live the way the New Testament models. It is really easy to find a church that has a once a week show that you find suits your personal tastes in music, speaker, dress. You sit in a crowd, you walk out, and you leave. And next week, the show will restart just as you desired. In a Netflix life, church on Sundays can be just another program. And if that is what church has been for you in your life, if that is what church is for you now, my argument to you, I believe from the scriptures, is that God has a far more difficult and far better life for you. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul lays out probably his the most famous image of an understanding of Christian life together. He presents to us the body of Christ. This has become so normalized in Christian understanding. When you first start reading 1 Corinthians 12, you probably can't help but think of, he means the body of Christ. But when he's talking about body parts, he wants you to be thinking about actual body parts and how they work together. And he tells you, if you think about the way that a body works, they are interdependent systems. You can't just have eyeballs levitating through the world. You can't you can have just giant ears moving through life. You can't look over in the car next to you and see a giant nose steering through traffic. It is all of those things working together so that an eye is still an eye and an ear is still an ear, but they're also part of another thing that all works together. And Paul says, this is how Christian life is meant to work. You are still yourself. You are still your own individual person. You have your own individual identity and ability and chiefly of interest to him, you have your gifts. But you're also part of something that is much larger than yourself. And so we do life together for a couple simple reasons. One is that God gave you gifts and you have something to offer to the world. And I don't just mean that in the way that you're told in elementary school, like you're special and important, you can change the world. That's, that's wonderful. That's cute. What I, what I mean is in the Pauline sense, that God has demonstrated himself to be an incredibly generous giver so that every single person that follows Jesus is given gifts by him. He gives signs of his own character and power to every person that follows him. And if you follow Jesus, you yourself are a, a container, a vessel, a conduit for God's own generosity. Every single one of you. 
And some of you are very clear on what your gifts are. It feels like something you've always known about yourself. And it feels incredibly natural to you. And it energizes you to give those gifts away. You can't imagine your life without doing those things. Those things are given to you to give away. Some of you are sitting in a phase of your life and saying, I have no idea what my gifts are. I, I can't see them. And part of why you have to be in a community is because everybody else around you says, it's pretty obvious to us what those gifts are. How can you not see them? And the body, the community gets to disclose to you, yes, even you who thinks they have no gifts, you are rich with gifts. You are made to give away what God has given to you. And so if you are living a Christian life where you come to a show weekly, roughly weekly, maybe monthly, whatever, if you come to a show once a week that requires no generosity to give away what God has given to you, you are missing out what God wants to do in and through you. And on the other side of that coin is we all have gifts, but we all have profound needs. You cannot follow Jesus without the gifts of other people. You and I were meant to, to live a communally interconnected kind of life that leads you to be interdependent on other people. You should be facing life with Jesus and saying quite naturally and repeatedly, I can't do this. Of course you can't. You can't. Not alone. Something in you needs something that your neighbor has. And if you are living a Christian life where you come to a weekly show and you leave and wait to come back to the next one. And you are never living an open-handed reception from others. You are living a malnourished Christian life. And whether you know it or not, you are hungry and you are needy for what only your brother or sister has to offer to you. We come and we live communal life together because God made us to give gifts and because God made us to receive gifts and to do so in the context of his people. Paul, he shows us that these are the dynamics that are in play in a Christian life. His metaphor talks about honor and weakness. How at times various portions of the body, the physical body, man, it's glamorous to be an eyeball, it's glamorous to be an ear. It those parts seem more honorable. And you know what Paul says in his description is that the honor is shared amongst the body. 
But even when somebody else is getting more credit or is more public, is more visible, when somebody is on a stage, you are not less honorable. The body distributes the honor amongst itself. And a central part of our life together is coping with one another's weaknesses. That at times you too will need to be one part that needs to be covered up by the strength of another. That at various times you will be caught in your own frailty. So the strength of the rest of the body of Christ is meant to bear you up and carry you along in your suffering. We believe every Christian needs transparent, vulnerable relationship. Participation in some sort of weekly social club is vanishingly an experience in this world, but you can find something like that elsewhere. What makes this kind of community different is when people intentionally put their weaknesses on the table and acknowledge all of the ways that they are deeply in need. And when the people together do not shrink away in fear or in embarrassment or shame, but instead rush towards an open embrace and love. You need vulnerable, transparent relationship in light of the cross. Christian community is incredibly difficult. It's incredibly difficult to organize your life around a bunch of people who are highly likely to hurt you to sin against you, to offend you, and to annoy you. And we're asking you this fall to strip out your schedule to take more time to spend time with those kinds of people. That seems like a terrible idea. A rational person would say, I will go in the opposite direction. And yet what we're saying is when you're in the context of this sort of friction-filled, difficult, fractured community, something happens that is greater than the sum of its parts. Something happens that's more than me plus you plus you plus you plus whatever, 200. Because when a collection of people who are filled up with all of the honor and all of the weakness they bring to the table move in together and begin to regularly speak the gospel to one another, something incredible happens. Jesus shows up. Christian community is not like other kinds of community. Other kinds of community are a sign of longing for Christian community. 
People will go everywhere and anywhere to find this kind of community and they'll find easier versions, they'll find safer versions, they'll find Jesus-free versions and it will not add up to what Christian community is supposed to be because Jesus in the middle of his people moving together in vulnerability and transparency and confession and in blessing is a thing that does not happen elsewhere in the world. It is a miracle. It is a testimony that God is real and he is alive and he is here. Now, if you've been in any kind of church setting for more than, I don't know, an hour you probably have lots of things that leap to mind. But I have seen, but I have experienced, but here are the scars that I bear. This is the terribly frightful thing. The, the vision for what God wants to do in and amongst his people does not erase the truth of our own humanity. And many of us bear the wounds of humanity gone wrong. Some of you have experienced the ripping away of friendships over sins both small and great. And you still experience the pain of those wounds. Some of you are here and saying, I have been after this with so many different people for so long, and I am so, so lonely. Some of you have been abused in the name of Jesus and under the cover of his care. And so when somebody puts out and, and floats out to you, we are a body of Christ, we need one another, we need vulnerability and transparency together, something in you says, this is the most dangerous thing that you could ask of me. And let me just tell you, I know I know, and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that people in the name of Jesus have misused you, mistreated you, and abused you. It never should have happened. It brings God no pleasure. God did not overlook you. He has still seen you and never once forgotten you. And if you are just here, because this is the most that you can manage, if this is all that you can do to barely crawl in the door, the Father is here to meet you. Today, this may feel impossible. But at the root, 
the foundation of Christian community is God's own commitment to his people. And he is that committed to you. If this is the most that you can manage right now in your life because of what is going on, the Father loves you. And he sees the whole length and breadth of your story far better than you can. And he is not finished with you. So while you may feel overwhelmed by the impossibility of all of this, the only hope that I can offer you is the only hope that there is. It's Jesus. He will continue to come after you and to bring you more deeply into the safety of his household. Every day of your life until you see him face to face. We are a people who are filled with need and longing for the great work of our shepherd, our father. And he will be faithful until the very end. God has not meant for you to live alone with him because God himself is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three in one, eternally and forever, sharing the divine communal life. And the essence of what God wants to do with you and to me is not to shove us off into a room by ourselves with him, but to pull him in to the place where all of that life erupts from. That you and I, by the work of his son, Jesus Christ, are caught in to the eternal dance of the Trinity. That you and I together can taste the fullness of life with God and life from God. If you are here today and you've been wounded and mistreated and broken by Christian communal life, that was never, ever your hope. You've been sinned against, you've been wronged, and the antidote and answer for that is only what it always was meant to be, which is God himself. And God will work his healing in you and bring you in to what now seems unimaginable. And if you are here today and you have been living a life of lone rangerism, if you've been living the American personal and private version of spiritual life, there is good news for you. God has come today to deliver you out of far easier and cheaper waters and into a more difficult and rich life that causes, that demands that you fix your eyes on Jesus. If you are here today and you have been living a life of isolation and loneliness, which so many people in our world do today, if you are alone as a pilgrim in this world and God has never, ever been your home, 
If you have never seen the arms of the cross spread wide and understood that you must find your shelter there, today God has sent me to tell you that you can come home. He has not made you to be an orphan. He has not made you to be forsaken. He has not made you to be forgotten and unseen, but he has always seen you. He has always sought after you. At times you have run from him as you thought you were running towards what is good. And even in those moments when you rejected him and fled from him, he, your good father, has stalked you with his kindness and he has brought you here to today. Today is the end of all of your orphan life so that you would come and find your home in the one who would never leave you or forsake you. The answer for all of us, wherever you are in this room, is to fix your eyes on Jesus. The author and the perfecter of our faith the one who has made us his body, also his bride, that he would pledge his covenant love and communal goodness to you and I forever. If you hear his voice this morning, do not harden your heart, but come in to him. I'm going to pray for us. And I'm just going to leave a moment uh, for you to, to reflect upon what this might mean for you. I would suggest that some parts of your heart might be uh, reacting, might be putting up defenses. And you should, in this moment, offer those up to God. So I'm going to leave silence. I'm going to pray and give you the chance to respond to him. And if you don't know what to do, which is okay, I would invite you to even just open your hands like this and just say, here I am, Lord Jesus. Do with me what is good to you. Does that make sense? We offer ourselves up to you, Lord God. Search us and know us. Father of light, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We see in our own lives and the lives of our brothers and sisters evidences and signs of your generosity. And we see in ourselves and every one of us evidences of brokenness 
and sin in the world. We are both hungry to run in towards one another and terrified. Father, I pray that we would be drawn together, not merely because we find so much hope in in each other, but because we find our hope in you. Father, I pray for those who have lived lives, who've made only space for an occasional show with you. God, I pray that you would deliver them out of that very thin slice of what you have for them and instead walk them in towards a deep life with you and with one another. Father, I pray for those who come in today broken, wounded, abused, whose only response is, I cannot. God, I pray that you would be merciful and gentle to them and that you would surround them with merciful and gentle people who might reflect the kindness of God towards them, who would willingly and faithfully bear up their weakness and suffering. And Father, I pray for all of those who are here today who have been invited or stumbled in out of curiosity, who've come out of habit, but who have never found their refuge in you. Lord Jesus, I pray that their hearts would be freed from everything that holds them back from you. And God, I pray that they would, for the first time, find their home in the household of God. Lord, you are our shelter You are the giver of all good gifts. I pray that we would believe that and we would live lives that reflect the truth of it. God, let us both individually and together be a people who more and more reflect the character of Jesus to one another and to the world. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.